Am I on? There I am. There I am. Okay. Uh, how, was your, how was your weekend so far? Pretty good? Pretty good? I had a great day yesterday. Man, it was fantastic. We, uh, I, had, they, I appreciate all the folks came by yesterday to wish me happy birthday, even though my birthday was three weeks ago. Um, it was just, we were out of town when it happened, and so, uh, uh, but then we don't do birthday parties every year at Great Oaks for pastors, just like big ones, like 10 years ago when I was 50, and when I turned 60, so uh, some of you came by to wish me condolences for that, so I really appreciate how you're, you're curious. And then I, I, yesterday before the birthday, I mowed the grass, it was a beautiful day outside, you know, nice and crisp and everything, and then I had that, and birthday party, went home and studied, and then last night was the epitome of a great day. <clears throat> um, if you don't know what VT stands for, it's not Vermont, by the way, okay? It stands for, it stands for a team that's uh, really, really a good team. It's this team here, Virginia Tech. Okay, just to let you know that, uh, that yesterday, last night, Virginia Tech did take out the Ohio State at Ohio State. Yes, thank you, thank you. So uh, some of you this morning, I had some people come by and say, uh, you know, I, I really didn't root for Tech, but I'm an anti-Ohio State. I didn't know there's that much anti-Ohio State sentiment around here, but obviously there is. So uh, and it was the largest attended game in Ohio State history, which I thought was really great since my team beat them. And uh, so it was good. So I want, I'm not going to leave this up here because it might cause envy or something, you know. So um, hold it. Let me put this away. Get it out of the way here. I had several hats I thought about bringing, but I only brought one this morning. So anyway. Okay. Well, that's enough of that. Uh, let's get on with what we're talking about. Okay. Good to see you this morning in our time of worship together. We're starting a brand new series today called Starting Over. And last week, uh, as we had kind of a standalone message, kind of like I was sharing some things about uh, a verse in 2 Corinthians, but today we're going to talk, talk about something totally different. Um, but last week I talked about how, uh, which I've shared with you before in, uh, in church, that when I was in school, I was not the greatest student in the world. Uh, I was kind of like, you know, I said for all those who are BC students, there is hope. You know, when I was in school, I didn't really didn't study that hard and didn't try that hard and kind of like made, made it through. And when I got to college, community college, uh, my first year there at a community college, I did, eh, all right, and then I decided to work for a year and went back to school another year for community college, and then finally during that year, I started praying, God, something's got to happen here because this is not working, and uh, a miracle happened, and I got accepted to a school in Tennessee called Carson Newman College, and, and uh, for some reason, I got accepted there. I don't know why, because when I went there, I was on academic probation, and um, so uh, I learned some things from the first time. I actually had a do-over in a sense. You remember do-overs as kids, you know, when you were a kid? Uh, you, you did something dumb or, or you didn't, you know, a game wasn't going the way you wanted it to or somebody wasn't following the rules and she'd go, do over. Did y'all do that kind of thing? Okay. And do over means you just kind of start all over again. And some of us wish we could do that in life. And I had it in my uh, college years because when I had a do over by going to this new school and so I learned some things, uh, I didn't do the same way I did this the first time. The second time was totally different. We're going to talk, over, talk about that whole thing over here in the next few weeks called starting over. Um, because so often in life, uh, when we ha go through things and we have difficulty and pain in life, the consequences are usually mild when we ignore the directions, like for things like repairing a computer, you know, the worst thing is you have to go out and buy another computer, or uh, assembling a child's toy at Christmas, you know, you'd fix it all, oh, by the way, for the children in here, you know, at Christmas, uh, Santa fixes half of it, and then the parents fix the rest, that's why it's mostly broken, and uh, that's kind of the deal. That's kind of the deal that happens so often, but, uh, you know, it's not really a big deal if that happens, but what if the 
but what if it's something much more important like, like a relationship or like finances or like uh, a job or like a career? What, what is it that uh, if, if you, you know, go through something and it doesn't work out, how do you deal with that? How do you do, start over again in something like that and make sure um, some things don't happen? Uh, the subtitle of this series is this, uh, How to Ensure That Next Time Won't Be Like the Last Time. How to make sure that next time won't be like the last time. Because so often in life, we simply repeat our mistakes. Uh, so if we start over a relationship or we flunk out of school or we lose a job, start overs uh, so often are difficult for us because of different things we're going to talk about. And I can tell you this, it's, it's probably hard for you if you have friends or family that you've seen go through some difficulties and, they, and they, they're trying to start over again, but they keep doing the same things. And you're going like, what's well, tough? Well, as a pastor, I will tell you, after about 36 years of ministry now, that the, the tough thing for me to see is I see so many people that, that go through hard times and then they just repeat the mistakes. And, and they do the same things over and over. Uh, and, and the thing I've learned is this, is we learn from our mistakes in the area so often that matter the least. Things like, you know, like hobbies and sports and games, so forth, things like that. But we repeat our mistakes in areas that matter most, things like finances and relationships and kids and work and school. And I hear this the question all the time, and I've said it myself about certain areas of life. Uh, and this is a question we always do when we go through something and repeat it. We'll ask this question, when will I learn? When will I learn? When will I learn about what's, what I'm doing? Uh, and I found this to be true, and this is the difficult part. What is the common denominator in all of your mistakes? You. You're the common denominator in all of your mistakes. And so we're going to talk about how to help next, uh, next time not to be like the last time. Now, for years in ministry, uh, when I was a youth pastor for several years and for the last 26 years as I've been a senior pastor, um, I have found out that uh, I've done a lot of counseling. And I found out this to be true. Um, counseling frustrates me to death, I'll just be honest with you, okay? Uh, because so often people will come and talk to me, and as they talk to me, they come and I have this issue, and I'll give them some advice, biblical advice and direction. And the problem is, is they usually like a couple of options, and I don't tell them what to do. I say, these are your choices, and you have to choose what you're going to do. And usually there's an obvious choice, which is the biblical way, and there's the other way, which is basically keeping doing what you've been doing. And so often what I find out that people do is they just keep doing what they've been doing. And so for me, sometimes counseling is kind of like, well, nobody listens anyway, so why keep doing it? So I'm handing off all my counseling as much as possible. And uh, I, I'm not totally serious about that, but partially serious about that because I said, well, teaching, maybe, maybe this series, this series is basically going to be large group counseling, okay? Because I'm going to share with you over the next three weeks, after this week, three things that, that we must do if we're going to start over, three biblical solutions to what we must do if we're going to start over and make sure that next time was not like the first time or the last time we did something. And today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about, is to kind of set the foundation for this series, I want to talk about three assumptions or three myths that we have so often in life that, um, that kind of set the, the, the table for this whole thing of how we approach next time. Because the reason I call them myths are that we think that these are true, and they're, when they're, we know they're not true, but we still act upon them anyway. And if we, don't, if we don't understand this myth, then what will happen is we'll repeat the mistake over and over and over again. Now, for those of you who are new here today, this might be your first time or second time here at Great Oaks. Um, if you're here last week, you know I do it. This is different than normal, okay? 
Normally, we're going to take and open God's Word, and we're going to look through it, and we're going to talk about something and lay it out, and we'll be doing that the next three weeks in regard to the series. But today, I felt like I needed to kind of lay some groundwork for this, and we do this occasionally when we start a series. I will talk about a scripture verse at a passage at the, at the end of the message that I want us to talk about, which kind of gives us an oversight to this whole thing. But today, I just want to share with you some things, and I also want to share with them something new that's going to be going on in the life of our church starting in three weeks. Uh, so let's first of all start with the myths. The myth number one is this, that so often it causes this problem is this, and I call it the experience myth. This experience myth is this, experience will make me wiser. Experience will make me wiser. Now, I just want to tell you before you say, yeah, it's true. No, it's not true. Experience alone will not make you wiser. It'll make you, it'll make you older. It'll make you tireder. It'll make you more frustrated. Experience alone. It's not experience alone. Just having an experience about something does not make you wiser. What makes you wiser is evaluated experience makes you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some tools that we can use, some things that the Bible talks about to help evaluate your experiences in life and so that you won't repeat the mistakes. I mean, all of us probably have friends. None of us, us do this, but all of us have friends that uh, keep repeating the same things. They've been through th time after time, different things, and they keep repeating their mistakes. And so bring them to church with you the next three weeks, and there'll be some great opportunities for them to learn some very biblical principles that we'll be laying out from starting next week, actually going all the way back to Genesis and talking about some things uh, that'll help us to, to go through something and make sure that next time is not like last time. So number one uh, myth is the experience myth. Number two myth is this myth called the know better myth. Since I know better, I will do better. Since I know better, I will do better. Well, um, years ago when I first started in ministry, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And I remember with students, and then I had some of my own, uh, I remember this, that so often I, I, one of the attitudes that high school students would have, and sometimes we develop our, our educational models this way, uh, kids would think that because they know the difference between right and wrong, that means they will automatically do the right thing. That's just not true. Just simply knowing something does not mean that we will do the right thing. Uh, and then when I became a pastor of adults, you know, the lead pastor of a church, what happened is I found that that, that was the same attitude so often. Because we think that if we know enough, we know enough scripture, we know enough uh, uh, rules, we know enough whatever, that we'll do the right thing. But I would challenge your thinking this morning in the area of this because I, I would be... be I would almost guarantee this is true, that all of us know more from God's Word, from Scripture, than we actually do. We, we might try to do everything we know, but we don't do it all as well as we could. And so it's not always true that since I know better, I will do better. I know certain things, I will do certain things. Um, basically this, know better does not equal do better. It's kind of like this. It's like, let me just give you an illustration. Parents... We do this all the time. We keep telling our kids what to do. Uh, son, you need to do this. Daughter, you need to do this. And what is their response when they become like junior hires and above? I know. I know. Have you ever heard that from a kid? You probably have never heard that from a kid. You know, I know. You tell them to do that, and I know. Why do you keep telling them if they already know? Because know better does not equal do better. Just knowing something, and some of your kids are looking at your parents and going like, 
They, pastors does the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, our parents do it. So we go to class and learn how to do that. But uh, the reality is, is that we keep telling our kids because we know that know better does not mean we have the ability to do better. We just don't do that so often in life. It's kind of like with adults even. I have people come to me, and I remember this dear, dear young lady years ago, and she'd been through relationship after relationship after relationship, and she looked at me and she said, <laughs> she, she came to the wrong person if she was looking for pity. Um, she says, what is wrong with all these people I'm dating? <laughs> Guess what my response was? <laughs> I said, who's picking them? I said, you're a bad picker. The problem is, or, or, you know, people are picking you, and you don't know how to say no. It's, it's your problem. So, so often in life, see, she knew she had dated all these different people, and I've seen that happen in, in marriages. People had married several times, and they keep getting married different times. And what do they do is it keeps repeating the same things over and over and over. And the next time is not better than the last time. Because no better does not equal do better. So that's another myth that we often have. And we're going to kind of combat that. And we're going to talk about what that means and how that works in our life as well, what God has to say about that. And then the third myth is this. It's the time myth. Time is against me. Boy, isn't, isn't that... I just turned 60. Wow, you know. Time is against me. You know, if anybody... The older you get, the, the, the more you think, well, time is against me. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about that. Everybody thinks the clock is ticking against them. You know, if you've had some experience in life, you've had a relationship and you're out of a relationship, what is the first thing people want, want to do? Let's get back in another relationship as quickly as possible because time is against me. You know, all of my friends, all of my friends, all of my friends, you know, people my age, they keep saying it over and over and over, people my age, they do these different things. But the reason... The reason we do that is because we think that we have to rush through something. But let me explain something to you. Time is your friend. Time is not your enemy. Time is your friend. Time is not against you. And the reason that's true is this. When you go through a difficult time, whether it be a relationship problem or you go through a, 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 a traumatic uh, a financial issue or you lose a job or whatever, what happens so often is we rush back into something and we just simply just, just make the same mistakes. And the reason we do that is because when you go through this, we know this physically, that when you're physically hurt, that uh, you're, you're focused upon yourself, your emotions are a little high. But when you're out of balance emotionally, your emotions are pretty high. And when your emotions are pretty high, is a bad time to make a decision. You know, our emotions are kind of like, like, uh, like gas prices in Illinois. They go up real quick, and they come down real slow. Y'all notice that? It's kind of that way. And when you're in pain emotionally, you're self-absorbed. It's the nature of pain. I mean, it's obvious in our lives. You have a friend who's going through pain. When you talk with them, what do they talk about? All about, it's all about them. They repeat their pain and their story over and over and over and over. It happens in small groups all the time, right? You go to a small group and there's, and there's somebody in the group, they're going through pain, and what do they do? Uh, we, have a, we have a term for that here at Great Oaks, and it's not, we didn't, phrase, we didn't uh, develop the term. It came from somewhere else. It's called an EGR person. 
You know what EGR stands for? Extra grace required. Because when you're going through pain, you're totally focused upon yourself. And so so much what happens is the person who is that way does not even realize in their small group that they're that way. They're going like, I love my small group because I go and I can talk and talk and talk and talk. You know, and everybody's going, no wonder you love your small group. You dominate your small group. And the reason is, is when, you, when you're going through pain, you're self-absorbed and pain causes you to be focused upon yourself and you get stuck in your pain. And we've said this time and time again at Great Oaks. If, if you've not heard this before, you've ha- if you've been here more than two weeks, you've, you've heard this. Our purpose at Great Oaks is a church that God has given us. Love God, love people. Yes, that's uh, uh, the great commandment. But our purpose here at Great Oaks can be summed up in one sentence. Help people take their next step towards God. Help people take their next step towards God. We talked about this last week when we talked about being reconciled with Christ. That's helping people take their next step towards God. And when you are stuck in a place in your life where you're in pain and you can't recover from that pain, guess what happens? You cannot take your next step with God. You're stuck. And so one of the things we began to discover that, you know, over the years that we, our church has been in existence about 16 years now, and, and, and in the process of, of discovering this, we realize there's kind of a, a gap here uh, because there's not really, there's a lot of people who get stuck in certain things that go through different things, and we really have not developed uh, what we call recovery ministries here too much. And so just a few months ago, actually, I don't know if it was about a year ago, I guess we actually started talking about it, but Dan Haney, he's a friend of mine here in the church, uh, Dan is, uh, we kind of gave him a title recently. He's, it's an unofficial title, but it's the title. He's the, uh, the volunteer care ministry pastor. And uh, what he does here is, uh, Dan actually is a uh, full-time chaplain at Children's Hospital in Peoria. And uh, he's also a retired counselor. He retired uh, from counseling a few years ago. He's, still, he's retired, but he still does it tons of times. And he volunteers tons of time in the church every week to counseling people for free and doing that as well. But uh, Dan came to me and said, hey, you know, Bill, said, there's this passion in my life. We really, we really need to develop something in the church for the people who are stuck so they can take their next step with God because if they don't get unstuck, they'll be there forever and they may never take a next step with God. So Dan and I started talking and he shared his passion for that. And so we're starting something in three weeks uh, that's going to help begin the process Uh, not solve the whole issue, but begin the process of dealing with one specific area to help people that are stuck in one area of their life. So watch this video, this interview I did with Dan earlier this week. Healing and recovery ministries are designed uh, to help people address and to overcome real-life difficulties, um, struggles and problems they've had in the past, uh, things that are going on today. They're really not self-help and counseling programs in the way that people think about those type of programs. All of the pastoral care, all of these, these ministries are built on sound biblical and Christian principles and rely on all of that teaching um, for their source of truth. The whole goal is, is to remove the obstacles in people's lives so they can take that next step towards God. I am passionate about the care ministry here at Great Oaks. You know, I speak from some experience of my own. I've been through some tremendous difficulties in my life. My marriage has been through some tremendous difficulties and myself and then Diana and I, as a married couple, have had to work through some very difficult times in our life and there were times that we could not work through them on our own. Um, If it weren't for a lot of Christians very intentionally investing in our lives, Um, Neither of us would be where we're at today. 
So I guess that's what motivates me, is knowing what, the, what can happen uh, when a church and when the body of Christ comes around people uh, to help them begin their healing, to truly invest in someone. Uh, and that's what's kept me so uh, motivated and so invested in these kinds of ministries. Divorce Care and Divorce Care for Kids uh, are exciting ministries. They're actually going to be uh, beginning uh, September 28th here at Great Oaks. Uh, both programs are 13 weeks long, and the whole goal of these programs is to help adults and uh, children of divorce um, overcome the difficulties associated with divorce. Uh, we know divorce is very common. Um, over 50% of marriages end in divorce, and there are some real consequences, particularly spiritually and emotionally, to divorce. And these programs use um, just wonderful biblical uh, teaching to address those difficulties and walk people through the process so they can get back on their road um, and get back towards their journey towards God. Well, you know, there's a real need for pastoral care ministries and the healing and recovery ministries and divorce care and divorce care for kids is really just the first part of, what, of what's being developed. Life is messy. Um, it's messy for Christians. It's messy for non-Christians. There's a lot of people with a lot of hurt, a lot of pain and anger and resentment. And for many people, those feelings, those thoughts, those emotions become so strong that people get stuck. Um, they don't know how to get out of it on their own. For many people, they need some help getting back on their walk with God. So all of these ministries um, are really centered in not so much addressing just problems with solutions and programs being an end to themselves. This is not programs, this is steps. Steps to helping people uh, recover their life in Christ. And so what we hope to do is, is to bring a sense of the possibility of healing People can become involved and engaged in their church life and their walk with Christ in a way that problems and difficulties that were overwhelming at some point in their life can actually be redeemed in God and can become strengths for people um, in the future as they continue their walk. For me, John 14, uh, 27 has always been my guide in this area where Jesus says, uh, my peace I give, my peace I leave with you. Do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And I think we forget about that a lot. Um, these programs, I hope, are a way for people to really connect, not just with that passage, but the thinking behind it. Help people regain uh, a really intimate walk with Christ, take their next step towards God, so we really can love God and love our neighbor the way we're supposed to. Let you know that Dan will be uh, at the back table uh, following the service today if you'd like to talk more about uh, divorce care for adults, divorce care for kids, and there'll be some other folks back there too probably as well today to uh, kind of talk about this next, this first step really in recovery ministries for us. We'll be looking at other things along the way, and we hope this will be something that will be reoccurring on a regular basis as well here because we found that we just kind of picked the greatest need, and uh, that's where we started with this as well. Um, like I said before, before the video, that self-absorbed people make self-absorbed decisions and they get stuck and can't take their help, next step towards God. Um, but when you become healthy again, you have clarity. And when you have clarity, you make better decisions. And until you have clarity, you really have no business making a lot of decisions in life, and that's what people do so often. But that takes time sometimes. And time really is your friend. Time really is your friend. I don't care what, what age you are. 
Time really is your friend because so often what happens in life when we get stuck in something, we have all the emotions. You will not be able to hear things later. You'll be able to hear things later that you can't hear right now Uh, because sometimes because the emotion, it overclouds your, your judgment and you just can't hear things. Also, you'll be able to hear from people later that you can't hear from right now. Sometimes the emotion, and once again, of the time, like, again, once again, emotions go high and they take a long time to come down. And so that's, that's something we need to be aware of. But so often we think we're impatient, and, and we, start, we try to start over too soon. And we're going to be talking about that. Some steps we need to take, uh, three steps we need to take, very basic steps, uh, that people talk about many times in counseling as well. Uh, but uh, things that we need to do if we're going to make sure that next time is not like the last time. Um, one of the things as I was looking through this and thinking about this whole series, as I was studying God's Word, I looked at illustrations of the Bi- in the Bible of people who had a first time, they went through something, then they had, a, they had some kind of a failure, and then they had a second time. And I've realized something, almost everybody in Scripture that was true of. Almost everybody. Uh, matter of fact, everybody that God used in a significant way in Scripture had failure in their life somewhere along the way. Uh, it wasn't like all these were perfect people by any means. I mean, people like, for instance, in the Old Testament, Moses. Uh, you know, Moses was a guy that, that uh, he, you know, he grew up and he, was, he thought he was an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He did all those things. But, uh, no, some of you got it. It's all right. But, uh, <laughs> but the reality is, the reality is, is that he realized uh, as he became an adult that he wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. And so he looked around and he saw all the things that the Egyptians were doing to his Hebrew brothers and sisters. And he said, somebody has to do something about this. And so he decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. And we know the story in the Old Testament about how he went and he, and he, and he was so incensed about something. That he saw uh, this Egyptian uh, beating a, a fellow Hebrew that he, that he goes in and t- and to his defense and he kills the guy. And he flees the country. And it's a long period of time before he has a second time where God actually begins to use him in a real sense. And he becomes a leader who actually does something about what's going on to the people uh, of Israel. Another guy in the Old Testament, David. David, as we read in Scripture in the Old Testament, was first anointed to be king by God. But at the time when he was anointed to be king by God, there was another guy that was king. His name was Saul. And Saul was a guy who, in a real sense, what happened was is that he got jealous of David and, and his abilities and how people liked him. And so he kind of kicks him out, in kind of a literal sense, kicks him out of his household. And David wanders around for a long period of time. But eventually, God brings him into, into a relationship where he has, becomes a king of Israel as well. In the New Testament, there's bunches of people, but probably the person that we know the best is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was what we call a, a very religious person. He was a guy who was, he was an extremist. He was either all or nothing. Uh, that's the way Paul was. And, and, and the problem was, is when we first meet Paul, his all was to be in the best Pharisee, the best religious leader that he could be and it meant for him to such an extreme that he was the person who who would go around and persecute Christians because they were against his religious teachings at the time and then God comes into his life and 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 blinds him and then he wanders around for a while and turns his life around and eventually his life has a second part as well and we're glad he has a second part because he becomes the person who plants probably more churches than anybody who's ever planted churches in the history of the world and then he and then he and then he uh, he writes a huge part of the New Testament. Now, the problem with all these stories, when we read these stories, and it's going back to this point about time as our as our friend, 
the part of all these stories that we often hate when we read them is in every single instance in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a first round and a second round, but between the first round and the second round, between the first time and starting over again, the problem was there was this interval of years. For Moses, it was 40 years. 40 years. You're going like, well, that's encouraging, Pastor. You know, you mean if I start over, it's going to take 40 years? Maybe, who knows, I don't know, but you know, God's going to use you, maybe it takes that long to get through to you or whatever, I don't know. Uh, you know, and David, David from the time, that, uh, from the time that, that he's anointed king by God, he's kicked out of uh, Saul's household, and the time he shows up again and becomes king is somewhere between 8 to 12 years in history. We look at the Bible and think, oh, it just happened you know, right here. No, it's, it was a long period of time. Uh, the Apostle Paul, from the time that his experience on the Damascus Road and the period of time when he goes there and he begins to actually plant churches is a period of about 14 years. There's this period of time where God is doing some stuff in his life. And that's what God wants to do. This is the reason we're doing this series. It's not just so you can start over, but you can start over in a way that would not only honor God, but would also redeem the, the pain in your life as well. Um, so we see those two things happening in, in, in uh, these things happening in these guys' life. And another two things that I saw happening in all these guys' lives as well, and we're going to talk about this as we go through the series, is that once people go, went through this painful time after having to start over, after they went through this time of years, one, two things happened in their life. They, two things became evident in their life. One was a, a sense of divine destiny, and the second was a, a sense of abiding humility. You know, I heard people many times say things like, well, I just see God working in my life. You ever heard people say that? I see God working in my life. You know, and, and I hope you see God working in your life. But that what God wants to do in the meantime is that it, sometimes it takes us to go through a period of time of failure and that God began to work in a new way. And then what happens in that new way is that God begins in a real sense to, we see him at work in our lives. And so uh, the, our, my, God's prayer, my prayer is that we'll always see, uh, after we go through the starting over, starting over will be something where we see God working in our life. And it's abiding humility. So often in life what it is, we look back and we think that we're, it's all about us. Because I said the first time around, it is all about us. We're self-absorbed. But the second time when we let God begin to work in our lives, what happens is, is we get, let God, uh, we discover that, that God, uh, we don't have, it's not all about us anymore. And we relax in life, and God begins to work in us in new ways that we've never worked in us, our lives before. And I've heard people say this before, and this has been true, and you may have heard this as well. They go through uh, uh, something in life, and then they start over, and, and they go through this, and, and they'll say, you know, all the pain I went through in life, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You ever heard anybody say that? I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you're going like, they're nuts. You know, this is crazy. But sometimes that's the best way that God gets your attention, does he not? That you go through the pain... And then he teaches you something, and then you get to start over. And so that's the process we're going to be starting looking at in this series. Because you see, the, the thing is this. We all, start off, we all start off anything new, and we have big dreams. You know, I do weddings. <laughs> I do weddings. And I've never been to a wedding where everybody didn't say, the couple didn't look at each other and go, you know, in, in the premarital counseling and going like, we're just going to have the most perfect marriage in the whole world. And, you know, and we're going to have kids, and they're going to be great kids. And, you know, and, and we're going to have such a good marriage. They don't say this out loud. They just look at each other, and I can tell us what they're thinking. And, and they're going like, we're going to have such a good marriage and a good family and everything that everybody's going to look at us, and they're going like, wow, I wish I could have a family and a marriage and kids just like yours. The problem is, the problem is, we discover that life is not perfect. There are no perfect kids. 
There are no perfect marriages. Life is messy, as Dan said in the video. Life is messy for all of us. But I've discovered something, and one of the things I've discovered is that if you're emerging from a round one of whatever it is, and, and, and you're going through a time where you're having to reassess life and things are going through uh, that, are, that you've gone over a bump, if you will allow God to do something between round one, whenever that is, and the failure that you've gone through, and round two, when you start over again, if you allow God to do something then, God will do something in your life, and he will move you to the next season of life with a sense of this divine destiny and abiding humility. You won't feel like everything hinges on you anymore, because the next time can be better than the last time. That's what God's word tells us. He is a God of do-overs. He's a God who wants to take what is hurtful in life and redeem that. That means add value to what's hurtful in life. So, as we close today, I want to leave you with a verse of Scripture to think about. Because this verse of Scripture has, has to do with everything. Just read it this week and think about what it has to say. Because next week we're going to look at, begin the process of looking at three steps, three things that God tells us we're to do to, have us, to make sure that next time is better than last time. And it's in, a, it's in a verse of Scripture that's written by one of the guys I talked about, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul definitely had a first time and a second time. A first time when he was going through some stuff. And, and, and matter of fact, uh, some of the stuff that he went through in round one so much embarrassed him that when he came to round two, he could not hardly even be around Christians for a while because they, he knew that they knew exactly what he had been. You know, people like that, they've been through something horrible in life and they can't look at people in the eye because of something horrible. I can imagine that Paul was like that for a while because they knew that he had been a person who had been almost a religious terrorist. Somebody who was a zealot who had had, uh, helped uh, uh, kill Christians as well. But but yet he saw that God could use him and actually use his past to set him up for what he was going to do in the future. And so he writes to some Christians he knew in Rome. And he says this in Romans 8, 28, in a a famous passage. He says, and we know that in all things, we know, he says, I am confident that in all things, God works. We know that in all things, God works. What Paul is saying here to us, and I think this is important to understand, He's saying, if you will allow God to work through, and in that segment of your life, you wish you could go, get a, just, just wipe out, whatever it may be. He said God can even take the messy part of life that we go through, and he can take it and turn it around and make something good for it. He said God can work. And then he says this in the remainder of the verse. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What Paul's saying here, and this is, this is the basis of what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, God can leverage purpose out of anything if we will allow him to. He can make purpose, not just, sometimes in life we think that certain things are just, I wish I could just, just not, re, you know, that I wish I could just get rid of that, those thoughts, those things. But God can take that, even the messy parts of life, the failures of life that we go through in relationships, in finances, in jobs, in, in school. I mean, when I went to school, if I would look back and let myself be ruled by the fact that the first two years of college was a mess, and God hadn't redeemed that and changed some things around, I would still be a mess. Now, I'm not perfect by any means, okay? So don't think that. But the reality is, is that God take, took that and redeemed that and taught me some things and made some things new in my life. So God can leverage purpose out of anything if we allow him to. Next time can be better than last time, not just because we want it to be, but because you can plan for it to be 
And we're going to talk about God's plan for making sure that next time is going to be better than the last time. And we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks. So I will challenge you, don't miss one time over the next three weeks. Because we're going to talk exactly what God says to us about how to redeem the past, our failures, and how to start over again and make sure something good comes out of it. Because that's what he wants us to do. Because God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning as we have uh, been here that we can simply begin this process of thinking about starting over. God, all of us, I'm sure, some area, in some area of life, uh, yeah, we've all probably had some successes in our life as well, but we don't learn a lot from successes, God. What happens is that so often we go through the failures and we think that, oh, that really defines who I am. But the reality is, as we see in Scripture, that sometimes even though those failures in people's life, like Moses and David and the Apostle Paul, even though those failures sometimes did define their lives, at the same time, it redirected their lives in ways that brought purpose out of the failures of life. And then when they started over, what happened is that you brought some real meaning out of that, and you changed around the direction of their lives because they learned, and they didn't repeat the mistakes of the past. Thank you, God, for your incredible love for us, your goodness for us, and as, we, as you teach us how to walk through these things, and three simple, th- three simple steps that we'll talk about from Scripture. Three, three things that we talk about all the time, even in, in, in healthy biblical counseling. We pray, God, that you would just use these to help us to start over in whatever area of life we need to start over in. Guide us now this day, God, in all we do and say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you guys have a great week. Remind you that Dan and some of the crew from the Divorce Care Group is going to be at the back table. If you'd like to sign up for small groups, there's also some sheets back there to do that as well. See you next week. Have a great week.